The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, okay, okay. It's not on. Can we turn it on, please? Uh, yeah, okay. Let's see. Still, it's working? No, still not. Ah, there we are. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. So let's uh, get into the questions for tonight and uh, we'll see what happens as we go along here. Dear Ajahn, thank you for elaborating on sense restraint and giving us an entirely different perspective, i.e. it will help develop an even mind. Do you have any tips for reflecting on fear? Thank you. So... Um, I think this is uh, one of the things that I learned from Ajahn Brahm. He said, fear is fault-finding about the future. And uh, it's quite nice, uh, yeah, and it, it is uh, a large part true. Fault-finding about the future, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it is uh, looking at the future with uh, um, you know, a sense of what will go wrong. That's what gives rise to fear. Uh, and you're looking at the, the, the potential for you know disasters and negativity and anxiety and fear of course are pretty much the same thing uh, and that's where it all really comes from uh. so uh, remember that uh, in life things tend to go right how often do things go wrong well occasionally they go wrong but the vast majority of the time things go right uh, and you are you're okay uh. so just uh, remember that and remember also that when you are practicing a spiritual life, basically you're heading in the right direction. I don't know about you, but I've just watched in my own life, you know, uh, and uh, it's kind of the tendency to things to get brighter and lighter and easier, and you're more at ease with people, and this is everything seems to go easier over time uh, as you kind of carry on with the spiritual practice. Uh, so it's like you're heading in the right direction. If anything, you should be optimistic about the future. Uh, you know, the future is looking bright. Was that famous movie uh, with John Belushi? My my future is so bright. I got to wear shades. <laughs> Someone who said that's like for the Buddhist, yeah. Uh, you put on the shades and it doesn't work because the sunglasses can't keep the nimittas out. So nimittas will still be there. Uh. But uh, so that is the way of thinking about the future. Look at the positive sides in the future. The fears are often not really. Uh, it's not solidly based. The idea of looking at the the faults and the problems. Uh, actually uh, positive things are much more likely to happen uh. so that is uh, the thing so be be very clear about where your fears are what your anxieties are about uh. try to understand them uh. and then try to ask yourself can i look at this in a different way uh. what is an alternative perspective on that future uh. what exactly is that i'm afraid about something will go wrong that's really what it is yeah someone will have an accident or something like that but yes okay sure everyone will have an accident eventually that's what the reflection on dukkha really talks about, uh, but that's not so important. Uh, yeah, these things are not really don't matter that much. What matters uh, is how we live, uh, because how we live determines our future far more than the accidents and the problems in life that are inevitable. They are all inevitable uh, because uh, we have to die eventually. Things have to go wrong eventually. There's no choice about that. Uh, but actually, it's only a small blip. It's only a small blip because the big picture is determined by how we live. Uh, where you get reborn, how you feel inside despite external problems. Uh, and if you look at the people in your life, you'll find many of those people also living well. Uh, yeah, 
So good on you for living well there. Okay, you have an accident, it doesn't matter so much. Your general life is good, so you don't have to worry about those accidents. So get a sense of perspective on things. Remind yourself of what really matters, what is important. If you are a dodgy character, if you like to kill and steal, well then you have good reasons for being pessimistic. But you wouldn't be here, right, if you were a dodgy character. Any dodgy characters here? No. <laughs> one at the back, okay. There's one dodgy character at the back, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, so even the dodgy characters are pretty nice in this place. So <laughs> I just had a chat with him before. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that, that's really how you, you learn to think. Anxiety is a big problem in our age. A lot of people are depressed and anxious. It's a, like a pandemic, and a much worse pandemic than the pandemic we're having is kind of the mental health problems that we have in the world. And you are really in the right place for overcoming that, uh, yeah? Learning to look at things differently. Don't buy into all that pessimism in the world. Uh, because that pessimism, even if it is true on one level, uh, there is a deeper truth that matters far more. And that deeper truth actually makes you optimistic if you live well. Uh. So to turn off the TV. Don't listen to all those news. Try to, or try to see all those things in a new perspective. Uh, and then you will manage really well. Yeah, you'll be able to be happy. You'll be a bright beacon in the midst of uh, you know of the dark of some of the darkness in the world uh, and there are lots of good people in the world still uh, sometimes you just have to look uh, turn on the tv what you get is a digest of the worst possible news that like, accumulate into 15 minute segment on tv uh, that's really what it is it's a, and, th and this is what we watch and we think the world is like that but no the world is not like that uh, the world is uh, the people we meet every day here uh, yeah the people who do acts of kindness to each other uh, the people who um, live well, that is the real world. What you see on TV news is not the real world. It's just a, a, you know, a, a, a horror show <laughs> sometimes. Uh, and it doesn't re really relate to reality. So we get depressed about things that are not really worthy of depression. Uh, and we forget all the good things going on in the world. The BSV and uh, all the people out there who actually live well and do the right thing here. Yeah. Okay, let us move on to the next one. Dear Arjan, why is Nibbana called extinguishment? You have said of the mind. I never said of the mind. I just said extinguishment. You have added of the mind. That's okay. You can, you can add that too. <laughs> when the passing away of the body of an enlightened person, what happens to the mind element, the five aggregates? Thank you, Arjan. Dear Ajahn, seeing, merely seeing arises due to the power of reflection or power of meditation. Okay, so first one, why is Nibbana called extinguishment? And the main reason why Nibbana is called extinguishment is because you extinguish the defilements in the mind. Yeah, These are the things that keep the fires of greed, hatred and delusion going here. You extinguish those fires. That is the main reason why it's called extinguishment. So an Arahant is an extinguished person. Yeah, so that is the main thing that is important. And the Arahant is supremely happy because all the dukkha has been, all the suffering has been alleviated. And still in this world, sometimes you come across people who think, wow, that person, probably an Arahant, a pretty impressive person. You don't know, but you can sort of guesstimate, actually very hard to guesstimate even. Even if you're a monk, it can be hard to guesstimate, but you have some idea sometimes. Sometimes you meet impressive people. 
So what what happens when the Arahant passes away here? And uh, yeah, the five aggregates. Remember, the five aggregates go. You know, they they are non-self. They include the consciousness. Consciousness is basically the mind. Yeah. So all of that is non-self, and of course, all of that stops when you die. Yeah. So what is left when all that stops? Why why are you concerned about that? This is the interesting point. Why do we worry about this? The reason we worry about this is because we have a vested interest in those five aggregates. We think they are me. They are mine. And because they are me and mine, they are important. But if you could see that all of those five aggregates were dukkha, if you could really see that, then you would have no vested interest anymore because there's nothing there which is yours. And you will say, yay, cessation of everything. Hooray, and you jump up and down. No, you wouldn't do that because you'd be really cool. You would be really cool and you go into deep meditations very easily. So the the, the point is that it's very hard to understand the idea of cessation and the ending of things uh, as long as you have a vested interest in those things. Uh, This is why the Buddhism is so profound. uh, You have to actually stand back and see non-self. That's the only way you can really understand what the goal of Buddhism is about. In the meantime, shrug your shoulders. It looks like a good path. It gives good results. I feel happy. Everything is heading in the right direction. Let's see where it leads. Uh, and one day you might come to understand how these things actually work. Yeah? But the point about Buddhism is precisely that it is profound. The point is that it went beyond all of the profound even ideas that existed in India at that time. In ancient India, they had a lot of people already had very profound meditation, uh, deep samadhi experiences. And the Buddha said, wait, even that is not really reliable. You have to go beyond that. So the Buddhist teaching are are, you know, you can't really think of anything more profound, I would say. I don't know how you could, how you could conceptualize anything more profound, but maybe you can, but I don't think you can. And so for that reason, it is not to be expected that you will understand it intuitively. This is kind of the whole point of them. That is why they are difficult to grasp. So just go with the flow. The Buddha said... Nibbana is the highest happiness. Okay, so seems reasonable. You see some people who kind of embody that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I meditated a little bit. It gave me more happiness. Okay, let me go a little bit deeper and see if it brings more happiness still. Uh, and this is how you gradually unwind that ball of thread, uh, tangled ball of thread, uh, until you eventually you come to the core and you find out what's there. Uh. Dear Ajahn, seeing, merely seeing, arises due to power of reflection or power of meditation. So I think what you are referring to here is the famous Bahya Sutta. In the scene, the, let there be merely the scene. Yeah, the idea of seeing without creating anything more out of what you see. Yeah? Just sensing things without adding the papancha of eye-making, mind-making and craving and all of that. Uh, that is what you are referring to there. A very famous Bahya Sutta that people talk about a lot. Uh, yeah, so just see without adding things to what you are experiencing. Just experience without uh, adding all of this stuff. Uh, how to do that? Basically, the only way to do that is uh, follow the whole Noble Eightfold Path. This comes at the very end of the Noble Eightfold Path. You have to give up the sense of I to be able to do that. Uh, yeah. So you have to follow all the eight factors. And those eight factors are first, power of reflection, then the power of development. Uh, First, reflecting to overcome the uh, defilements, then the power of development to 
power, empower the mind, make it bright and sharp and clear uh, to enable it to have the insights that come at the very end of the path. Uh, so both of those are required. Uh, yeah, use both of these things uh, in your practice. So there you are. Uh, Actually, extinguishment is quite a nice word. It used to sometimes it used to be called extinction. Yeah, nibbana was was uh, translated as extinction. People said, "Oh, that's too negative. We don't want to have an extinction." So we changed it to extinguishment. <laughs> Extinguishing the fires. Okay. Who wrote the Dhammapada? Thank you, Bante. Okay, that's a very concise question. <laughs> We can see who can write the shortest question here. <laughs> shall we have it? Maybe we should have that kind of competition one year. Maybe we have a bit of fun. The shortest question here. Um, maybe just a blank page, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, who wrote the Namapada? Okay, so who? That's a, that's a good question, yeah. Who wrote it? Who wrote the suttas? Where does all this come from? And. Um, the answer is, I mean, one of the things that you have to do is you have to uh, do a little bit of textual study to find out these questions. And um, I would say that the main content of the four main Nikayas of Buddhism, Long Discourses, Diga Nikaya, Majjhima Nikaya, yeah, Madhyama, uh, uh, Madhyama Agama, the Middle Length Sayings, the Sangyutta Nikaya, Sangyukt Agama, the uh, Anguttara Nikaya, Ekotrika Agama, these are largely the word of the Buddha. And uh, we can know that. Uh, why? Well, because precisely, I've, t I said, I've spoken about this here many times before, but uh, it's uh, simply because that these scriptures went in different directions not so long after the time of the Buddha. Around the time of the Emperor Ashoka, uh, there was a vast missionary movement and the scriptures went in many different places. There is archaeological evidence to support these things. Uh, and um, and then they were translated into Chinese, to Tibetan, Sanskrit, Pali, all this large number of different languages. And that happened uh, not so long after, roughly around the time of Ashoka, they started to divide up in this way. And when you take those scriptures, uh, they were translated into Chinese about the 3rd and 4th, 4th century AD, 5th century AD. Um, after traveling along the Silk Road uh, through the north of India, Kashmir, Afghanistan, uh, and the Central Asian republics into China, translated into Chinese. And then you take them, translate them back into English, translate the Pali into English, and you compare them. And sometimes, sometimes, even to this day, they are verbatim, almost verbatim the same. Not ex sometimes there are small differences, which is what you would expect. But it's astonishing sometimes how similar it is. Sometimes there have been mistakes, but very often extremely similar. And that is really amazing. Yeah? That is really astonishing. And it uh, shows you how conservative the Buddhist tradition was, uh, how much effort they put into keeping those scriptures uh, exactly the same. Because this was the sacred word of the Buddha. Of course we have to keep it the way it is. It is not an act of creation where we add our own ideas. It is about preserving what is there. And there was a great uh, technology in ancient India of the oral tradition that existed already in ancient India. So the uh, ancient 
Brahmins, uh, the Brahmanical tradition, which was the precursors to the Hinduism of today, they were experts in memorizing texts. Yeah, this was a, a technology, if you like, that they had evolved over hundreds or even thousands of, ye of years. Uh, and uh, the Buddhists, uh, and, and it, it is very well known that that ability to memorize was extremely powerful. Uh, and they were able to keep things pretty much verbatim across centuries. Uh, so the Buddhists inherited some of that technology and they used some of the same principles. Uh, and that is how they were able to keep it so intact. Uh, and then it was eventually written down. Yeah, And now, today, if you have enough understanding of languages, you can actually compare these texts across these vastly different languages. Uh, so what about the Dhammapada? Because the Dhammapada is not one of the four Nikayas. Dhammapada is part of the Kudaka Nikaya. Kudaka means short. Short Nikaya is the longest one. Huh? Which is kind of weird, right? The short, the short Nikaya is like this long. And I think it started out as very short. But we needed kind of a container to put all the texts, that the new texts that were produced. They got longer and longer and longer. And, uh, a lot of the content of the Kudaka Nikaya is not, obviously not the word of the Buddha. It was done long time after the Buddha. But some of the texts in there are uh, very likely to be the word of the Buddha. Uh, in particular, the Sutta Nipata. Yeah? Two of the chapters in there are talked about in the other Nikayas, and they seem to be very early. They were a collection that were taken out of that and then uh, transmitted separately. They also, uh, this is called the Atakavaga and the Parayanavaga, the two last chapters of the Sutta Nipata, and they also exist in Chinese translation, for example, which shows a little bit of their antiquity. Uh, then you have the Dhammapada. Dhammapadas also exist. There's a vast number of Dhammapadas. There's in Chinese, there is in, in um, Sanskrit, there is in um, uh, some of the... Um, Prakrits from India. Prakrits is like the ordinary colloquial language. Sanskrit is the artificial kind of elevated language. And there's something called the Patna Dhammapada, for example. And there's a number of Dhammapada. Some of them are called the Udana Varga. Yeah, Udana Varga. They have a different name in some of the Sanskrit versions. So they exist across many schools again. And there's a large number of verses in common here. And some of the verses in the Dhammapada exist also in the four Nikayas. Yeah, they're taken verses from there, added it to the Dhammapada. But then there's also very likely to have been additions, yeah? later verses added, because the length of these various Dhammapadas, they vary quite a lot. And why do they vary? Well, because someone must have been adding verses to them. Yeah? They were containers that were considered open-ended, so you can add more verses in there. Yeah? So the Dhammapada is probably a bit of a mixed bag, but a part of it, maybe a large part of it, is very early. And some of it probably comes from the Buddha himself, and some of it very close to the time of the Buddha. Yeah, so the Dhammapada is, for that reason, is very, is very beautiful. And it doesn't have, you know, it, sometimes things may not be from the Buddha, and still it may be nice. Yeah, you may read the Theragata or the Terigata. These are the ancient nuns and monks in India. Many of them were probably enlightened. Maybe all of them were enlightened. Yeah, it's still very inspiring because it came from people who were very close to the end of the Buddhist path, perhaps all the way at the end of the path. So don't, you don't have to become complete purists that only want to read the word of the Buddha. Yeah, you don't have to go that far. And for that reason, Please read the Dhammapada. Please allow yourself to be inspired by some of these ancient verses. Uh, not everything is from the Buddha, 
some of it may perhaps be I don't know if it's dodgy I don't maybe it's going too far but um, uh, most of it is uh, is great so something like that of course take everything I say with a pinch of salt yeah you never know whether I'm leading you astray or not so uh, figure it out for yourself as they say here <laughs> Dear Ajahn, I read in one of the suttas uh, that mendicants, wow, you're using the word mendicants, that's pretty cool, yeah? Mendicants avoid harming plants and seeds. Uh, what is the purpose, the reason behind this? Thank you. Uh, this was considered appropriate for mendicants at that time, yeah? The, um, many of the other sects, they would not plant, uh, harm plants and seeds because it was considered against the kind of the custom of spiritual people yeah it was considered wrong yeah it says specifically in some of the stories in the vinaya that ordinary people considered plants and seeds to have one sense faculty yeah, the faculty of touch yeah so they considered these beings plants to be conscious in a certain way that they could actually experience touch are they right about that i don't know there is some interesting experiments being done with plants in recent years that, that showed plants almost to be like conscious yeah where they you shine light on plants and they move according to the light or they they react to things like music and things it's you wonder whether these are reflexes or whether there is a basic consciousness with plants it's very interesting i don't really you know, the more you hear about this the more uncertain you become what is going on but the usual Buddhist idea has been that plants are not conscious and that seems to be the Buddha never says it outright uh, But he says oh ordinary people they take plants to have one sense faculty here When you put it like that it sounds like ordinary people are wrong and and I have a different view That's what it sounds like but maybe that's not what he's saying Maybe he's just saying that well, that's what ordinary people think. I'm not saying what I think Yeah, it could be that he says that we, we don't we just don't know because remember, the Buddha does not want to get into speculative things. He doesn't want to get into philosophy. And maybe whether plants have consciousness or not, it's kind of irrelevant for Buddhism. Yeah, okay, maybe they do, but it's not really, it doesn't matter so much. So, um, uh, from a Buddhist point of view, it looks like they don't have it, but it is not entirely certain. And uh, Ajahn Brahm is the one, he likes to stir the pot sometimes, and he, he sometimes kind of makes the claim or the idea puts it out there anyway without make coming to any firm conclusions that uh, yeah maybe plants have a consciousness maybe that's how they then develop into you know from plants maybe they become other beings uh, i don't know i it seems far far-fetched to me but uh, i never i always take like to take ajan brahm seriously but if he says something like that it's always interesting yeah so that is the reason why they didn't do it uh, yeah and then the, the buddhists uh, they, especially the Buddhist monastics, uh, because other religions were not harming plants, uh, uh, people started to look down upon the Buddhist monastics. Who are these scallywag monastics? They're dodgy, who, dodgy ones who kill plants. Uh, yeah, they are not real samanas, these, these kind of uh, lesser ascetics in the Buddhist tradition. They are not the real deal. Yeah, let's go and visit the other monastics instead. Uh, so there was kind of a pressure for Buddhist monastics to do the same thing. That seems to have been the reason why these things were laid down. So, yeah, no definitive answer, but kind of say, talking a lot without saying anything. 
that's life for you. Yeah, a lot of talking, but very little sense. That's, that's the problem with life. But sometimes it's nice not to have conclusions. Yeah, sometimes it's nice to have open-ended things. There's so many things we don't know in the world. Why pretend to know that when we don't know? It's okay not to know. Yeah, it's fine. Then. That's what I think anyway. Sometimes you, the older you get, the less you know. It seems, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. When you're young, you often know everything, but you actually, you know. <laughs> okay. Dear Ajahn, the extent of my practical experience with reflection uh, to date in this life has mostly been uh, in front of a mirror. <laughs> okay, so you, and I'm not sure if that is inside or outside or what that is, but uh, anyway, <laughs> maybe more like outside. Okay, maybe not entirely true, but I am new to the spiritual path and hoping you might share some practical pointers uh, on the act of reflecting. For example, is it always a conscious activity, synonymous with thinking retrospectively? Is it done while meditating or not? Thanks. Um, it is always a conscious activity because the idea is really to change the way we think about things, yeah, uh, to change our mind. And to change your mind, uh, it cannot be automatic. It has to be a conscious activity where you apply yourself. If you, just if you just go on automatic, your old habits will be in charge. But the point here is to overcome our old habits and look at the world in a new way. That's kind of the whole point of this. So it should be a conscious activity. Okay, wait a minute. How do I think about this differently here? Yeah, how can I... No. <laughs> okay. Just, you know, overcome your ill will or anger or whatever. This is kind of the main areas of reflection because almost everyone gets angry every now and again. I mean, a lot of people here are not very angry people, but still, you might get angry more than you like, yeah? Occasionally getting ill will. How can you overcome that? And if that isn't the main problem in your life, how can you overcome too much attachment to the worldly things so you can become more... Uh, you know, move more in terms in into meditation practice and get the uh, happiness and bliss of meditation. So this is the areas of reflection here. Uh, two main areas of reflection here. Uh. So it's absolutely conscious. Uh, is it synonymous with thinking retrospectively? Uh, um, it is uh, reflecting on themes. Yeah, It can be synonymous with reflecting res retrospectively in the sense that you want to investigate yourself. Yeah, So first of all, you investigate yourself. You see, what is my problem? Why am I getting this wrong? What is it I'm getting wrong here? Yeah, I'm looking at this person in a certain way. What exactly am I doing here? And then you try understand what you're doing, how you're using your mind in like the wrong way yeah that gives rise to defilements gives rise to problems so that is a retrospective kind of reflection uh. but then there is the other kind of reflection which is the reflection on the buddhist suttas uh. what method did the buddha give us uh, to overcome these problems uh. and that is like a recollection yeah you recall what the buddha said uh, and you try to apply it to your own life yeah how can i use these ideas in my own life the buddha said to have compassion okay why am I not having compassion with this person? Maybe I'm not seeing their suffering here. You don't need to see their suffering. Everyone suffers. Yeah? Maybe I'm thinking that they are acting like this of the free will. No, they are not. They are playing out a program. Yeah? Remember these things. 
people are conditioned. And as you do that, remember these teachings, the non-self ideas. Uh, yeah, and you have to make them your ideas. You have to try to understand these things in a real way so they actually have power. It is not enough just to read them and kind of recite them. Yeah, you have to actually, is this true what the Buddha is saying? Is it really the case that people are not in charge of themselves? And the more you look at that, the more obvious it becomes true. Yeah, People are working on habits. The problem is it feels like we are in charge. And you have to take on board to some to some, with some degree of faith and confidence that that is actually an illusion. We're not really all that much in charge. We are running on habits, running on conditioning. Yeah. This is how you reflect. Partly retrospective, partly recollective. Recollection of the teachings of the Buddha and then applying them in your life. It's so important to apply these teachings. I think one of the biggest problems in Buddhist circles is that we listen to the Dhamma and it ends up as a intellectual thing, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I understand the Four Noble Truths, yeah, Dukkha, Samuddhaya, Niroda, uh, Magga, yeah, Dukkha, suffering, Samuddhaya, arising, arising of suffering, Niroda, cessation, Nibbana, Magga, the path, yeah, and, and we know these things almost like intellectual ideas, but that's not what they're for, they are there to be applied in our life, what does Dukkha mean in your life? I had someone today, he came at the Questions time. I said, Oh, I don't have any dukkha. Uh, well, you, you don't really, you haven't investigated enough. Yeah, you haven't really looked at your life properly. Uh, you need to investigate more. It's there. Remember, dukkha is not always a felt experience of suffering. Uh, sometimes, dukkha, you need a bit of insight. You need a bit of foresight uh, into the future. What's going to happen in the future? Where are we going? Uh, you are going to be separated eventually from everything in this world that you like. Yeah, it is inevitable. It's bleeding obvious, yeah, when you think about it. Internalize that and understand what that means in terms of how we should live, what we should do with our life, and you understand the importance of the spiritual part of your life once you get that. So a large part of dukkha is actually about understanding and insight, not just feeling dukkha in the present moment. And the deepest parts of understanding dukkha when you become a streamer, that's all about insight. You cannot... Just count the dukkhas in your life and think that you understand dukkha. No, there's something very profound about it that you can only see through deep meditation. So this is a, these are deep things, yeah. So keep on reflecting in this way, applying these teachings in your life. These are about experience itself. These are not just intellectual ideas. Is it done while meditating or not? I, while, you, while you're meditating, it's not useful to reflect too much. Uh, it depends what you do, what kind of meditation you do. But if you, for example, you are sitting down, crossing your legs, and you want to watch your breath, don't try to reflect while you do that, uh, because it will interfere with the watching the breath, obviously. Uh, but if you are, say, doing walking meditation, yeah, it is often hard to watch the breath while you're doing walking meditation, then you can reflect. Think back at the suttas. What are they talking about? Yeah, How does this work? How does it apply in my life? Who am I getting angry with that I perhaps shouldn't? What kind of attachments do I have that are silly? How can I overcome that? Etc. Etc. Then you're on the right track. Yeah. Sometimes you can reflect a little bit during meditation. Say you're meditating and suddenly you lose your track and you have some ill will or desires coming up. Whoop, wait, hold on, what's going on? And then you can use a tiny bit of reflection to overcome those defilements. Remember the 
downside. Remember the causes of those defilements. Uh, turn your attention in a different direction. Uh, that person, look at their good qualities. It's very gently in your mind. You can do that during meditation itself to overcome those problems. Uh, but generally speaking, when you sit down and watch your breath, you don't usually do too much reflection. But that's not an absolute rule. You can. yeah. If, you, if it works for you, you can, of course, do that as well, even when you sit down. But, um, yeah. So there's no absolutes, yeah? Tr check it out for yourself. There's not, this is not a kind of, this is the path, there's no other way. It's like uh, you have to figure out how, a little bit for yourself, how these things work out. Uh, And uh, please don't look too much in the mirror. If you look too much in the mirror, you, you're going to get attachments as well. The same kind of problem. Huh? <laughs> There's actually a rule against monks, monastics, looking in the mirror. Yeah, kind of admiring your uh, your uh, kind of your <laughs> your picture in the mirror. Ah, today today it's really good. You don't <laughs> that is not the idea. This is actually not allowed. Yeah, you, okay. If you have to use a mirror to shave, you do that. But you, you try not to admire yourself too much in the mirror. That's kind of go, goes against the against the idea of being a monastic. <laughs> okay, so let's carry on, dear Ajahn. If kamma is action, and you have a thought of ill will, uh, and uh, on reflection, you don't act. Does that mean you have created negative karma by having the thought thought of ill will? Thank you. Um, maybe a tiny, tiny bit of bad karma, yeah. And the I mean, it depends on how often you have thoughts of ill will, how habitual you are. You are. If the, you are angry all the time, uh, then of course it is not so good. Yeah, it's bad idea to be angry all the time but most people are not angry all the time actually there are some people who come close but <laughs> no, but usually you're not angry all the time so you are yes you are creating a little bit of bad karma because the point is that you are giving rise to that ill will yeah it seems like it's coming out of nowhere but you are focusing in the wrong way and then the ill will arises but the main point is how you deal with that ill will if you deal with that ill will in a skillful way, then you are making good karma, yeah, because you are uh, using that wisdom to move away from that. Uh, so it, it is not. If I were you, don't worry too much about the ill will that arises occasionally, because this is everybody has that, yeah. It's just part and parcel for life. Uh, so just to try gradually to move away from it is if you act it out that it's really bad. Uh, that is when. It really leads to bad consequences in the future. You make a really powerful impact on your mind. Yeah, If you act out the ill will, you will remember it very powerfully because it makes an impact. Yeah, when you, if, it, if it's just a passing thought, there's almost no impact. You know, if you try to remember last time you had ill will, I mean, you can barely remember it sometimes. Yeah, It kind of comes and goes so fast. But if you do a bad action, you will remember it very clearly. And that gives you an idea of the power of that kamma. Yeah? Because you remember it clearly. Then when the time of uh, that kamma ripening, when that time comes, uh, because it, it was laid down strongly, it will also be easy to remember it in the future. And for that reason, you will feel bad about it. It will have a bad karmic effect. It will drag you down. Uh, yeah? That's what bad kamma is. Bad kamma is just your mental energy gets reduced and you feel worse about yourself. And then that, that negative feeling carries on in future lives. That's really what karma 
Kamavipaka is all about. Okay, last question for tonight. So, um, can we please explain how to do the death meditation? Shall we do it now? We have half an hour left. Is that a nice idea? Let's do some meditation together now and let's see if we can do some death contemplation together. <laughs> 